Hey, it's Dr. Gil Parat here, and today we are going to be talking about natriuretic peptides. And unlike some guys I grew up with, gambling is not one of my hobbies. So don't get me wrong, I am completely in favor of legal gambling because I think it's the only way to tax stupidity. But despite my enthusiasm for gambling, I'm going to make a bet with you that for most physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners that regularly see hospitalized medical patients, there almost is never a week that goes by where one of your patients doesn't have a natriuretic peptide lab for you to interpret. And they're becoming ever more important in therapeutics. So having a deeper understanding of natriuretic peptides not only will help with patient care, but also make work more interesting. Now, there are different kinds of natriuretic peptides. And like many folks out there, I routinely order brain natriuretic peptides, or BNPs, in cases of dyspnea. It's confusingly called brain because it was first found in the porcine brain. Now we know it is mostly synthesized in the ventricular myocardium, so when the ventricular myocardium is overloaded by volume, BNP is made and we can easily measure the level in routine blood tests. There is also AMP, or atrial natriuretic peptide. When the atrium gets distended by volume overload, AMP is released. Yet the reason the body makes AMP and BNP is not so they can be measured. They actually have a purpose. That purpose is to travel to the kidney and promote diuresis and natriuresis. So how are we gonna define natriuresis? And the definition is the excretion of abnormal amounts of sodium into the urine. So these natriuretic hormones get rid of salt and water when the heart is stressed by too much fluid volume. And that's an important and often underappreciated job. We never give enough credit to the underappreciated jobs out there. Next time you see a porta potty, stop and think about how many of them there are and how many people out there have a profession to clean them, or maybe even worse, cleaning football stadium stalls. Ugh. Next time I complain to myself about declining reimbursements and increased documentation, I must stop and think, do I have heartfelt gratitude for those doing the truly awful jobs out there? But getting back to the underappreciated natriuretic peptides, they tell the kidneys to diurese. And they also have other properties that cause vasodilation. They decrease intravascular volume and decrease arterial pressure. However, that is not their only functions. And like everything in medicine, the story gets cooler the more you dive deeper into it. I suppose I shouldn't say cooler when it comes to natriuretic peptides because they actually make things warmer. They are thermogenic. For those more interested in an in-depth review of this topic, you can check out the December 2015 Mayo Clinic Proceedings in an article titled, An Emerging Role of Natriuretic Peptides, Igniting the Fat Furnace to Fuel and Warm the Heart. See, the heart has huge energy demands, and one of the energy sources it uses is free fatty acids. Natriuretic peptides help supply free fatty acids to the heart. Our fat cells are called adipocytes, and when we break down fats, we call it lipolysis. 
And all these articles and women's magazines and men's magazines and the billions of dollars of fat loss products are focused on finding a better way to do lipolysis. What is fascinating about natriuretic peptides is they stimulate lipolysis. And you can be assured that natriuretic peptides are being looked at closely as a potentially novel way to fight obesity. It has also been known for a while that the amount of natriuretic peptides circulating in obese people is less than levels in lean people. Those interested are referred to a 2004 study in the journal Circulation, and that was titled Impact of Obesity on Plasma Natriuretic Peptide Levels. Obese individuals have low circulating natriuretic peptides, and many speculate this also contributes to their susceptibility to hypertension. Now, as it turns out, when you have obesity, you have increased natriuretic peptide receptors that are partly responsible for the clearance of natriuretic peptide. Another thing found in adipose tissue, and therefore increased in obesity, is neprilysin. And neprilysin is an enzyme that degrades natriuretic peptide. There is a new medication called by its brand name Entresto, and it is approved to reduce the risk of death and hospitalization from heart failure. Entresto is a combination of sacubitril and valsartan. Sacubitril is a neprilysin inhibitor. You get vasodilation and naturesis with the combination drug, and you improve mortality. So let's look at the data on this a bit more. In the September 11th, 2014 New England Journal of Medicine, they printed the Paradigm Heart Failure Study, and that was titled Angiotensin Neprilysin Inhibition versus Enalapril. Of course, we have known for a long time that ACE inhibitors like enalapril are the foundation of care for systolic congestive heart failure for the past many years. This was a double-blind, randomized, controlled trial, talking about the Paradigm Heart Failure trial here, and it contained 8,442 patients with class 2, 3, or 4 heart failure and an ejection fraction of 40% or less to receive either the sacubitril valsartan or enalapril, and the enalapril was at a dose of 10 milligrams twice a day. In addition to other recommended congestive heart failure therapies that you could remain on, it was a trial done in multiple countries at multiple centers, and before random assignment into the paradigm heart failure study, all patients had been receiving an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker, again, in addition to their other cardiovascular drugs like diuretics, spironolactone, and beta blockers. Now, again, it's worth restating that neprilysin degrades several endogenous vasoactive peptides, including natriuretic peptides. Therefore, if you inhibit neprilysin with a drug like sacubitril, it increases the levels of natriuretic peptides and it counters the neurohormonal activation that contributes to both vasoconstriction and sodium retention, and probably also maladaptive remodeling because natriuretic peptides are also antifibrotic. Now, the study was of patients with congestive heart failure 
and a reduced ejection fraction. So we're talking about systolic heart failure here. And the study found that the inhibition of both the angiotensin II receptor and neprilysin with sacubitril was more effective in reducing the risk of death from cardiovascular causes or hospitalization for heart failure than was ACE inhibition alone. Sacubitril was also superior to enalapril in reducing the risk of death from any cause and reducing symptoms and physical limitations of heart failure. Now, those who like numbers needed to treat, the ACP Journal Club analysis broke down the annual event rate number, saying that for every 38 patients you put on sacubitril and valsartan, the combination instead of enalapril, you prevented a cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization. They reported the number needed to treat for all cause mortality was 72. Now, an important point about angioedema. Why didn't they use sacubitril with an ACE inhibitor like enalapril instead of with an angiotensin receptor blocker like valsartan? Well, when they tried combining an ACE with neprilysin inhibitors in other studies, the risk of angioedema was very significant. It is still a risk with Entresto, but not statistically significantly worse in the trial conditions, at least, compared to enalapril. Now, let's remember, the trial condition was that patients were already on an ACE inhibitor or an ARB, so in a way, they weeded out those with prior angioedema from ACE inhibitors. And furthermore, a history of angioedema was an exclusion criteria for participating in the Paradigm Heart Failure Trial. But here is the big clinical take-home point. Do not give this drug with an ACE inhibitor. Stop any ACE inhibitor for 36 hours before starting sacubitril. That's what was done in the trial and what we need to do when we are prescribing it. Now, most of us remember the disappointment of Naziratide. Remember that brand name was Natricor. And it was a recombinant B-type natriuretic peptide approved for congestive heart failure in 2001. It was an unfortunate, but what has become an all-too-classic approval of a very, very expensive infusion drug before the data was available to prove outcomes benefit. The ASCEND heart failure trial later demonstrated no benefit of naziratide on the endpoints of death or rehospitalization for heart failure and really no significant improvement in dyspnea. I always felt that $4 of IV Lasix worked better than a few thousand dollars of naziratide for acute congestive heart failure. I didn't prescribe it, and therefore I can take this opportunity to get on my high horse and say it really is about time that doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs start minimizing medications that don't have good data. And the way to do that, in my opinion, is don't meet with pharmaceutical representatives. I haven't met with a drug rep in over a decade, and I may be delusional, but I believe I have somehow still been able to maintain an average amount of knowledge as a physician. Now, what was clear with the ASCEND trial is that just infusing recombinant BMP didn't work. Inhibiting neprilysin does seem to work with an important caveat. Just inhibiting neprilysin when studied in either hypertension or in congestive heart failure 
didn't work in isolation. It turns out inhibiting neprilisin works with angiotensin blockade dual inhibition. It is the combination that strikes the right balance between activating and suppressing key elements to improve clinical outcomes. Now, getting back to BMP as a lab, it is controversial as to whether there's ever a scenario you should follow BMP in congestive heart failure to titrate therapeutics. Some would say there is evidence that natriuretic peptide-guided treatment of heart failure reduces all-cause mortality and reduces heart failure and cardiovascular hospitalization. Those folks point to a meta-analysis in the June 2014 European Heart Journal as their defense of this practice. Now, whatever side of the fence you may be on with that debate, now we have a drug that increases BMP purposefully so remeasuring BMP after starting neprilisin inhibition in a patient does not seem to make sense. And those who routinely see patients in the ER or hospital floors have to be just as aware that an increase in BMP in patients taking neprilisin inhibitors could simply be reassurance about compliance. It kind of flips on its head that a high BNP is bad. and these patients, a high BNP may be a good thing. Now, another scenario where BNP measurements are elevated and don't make sense to routinely follow is those with renal failure. One way that BNP is excreted is the kidney. So a lower GFR will increase plasma BMP even in those renal patients without heart failure. If you had a low BMP in a renal patient, I suppose you can exclude congestive heart failure, but a high BMP does not help a lot in renal failure. BMP is just a tool in CHF diagnosis. It is not used in isolation and therefore clinical presentation and judgment should guide therapy more than a BMP lab. And of course, plenty of patients have elevated BMPs and more than one cause for their dyspnea may be present. A lot of CHF patients will have significant chronic elevations of BMP even on maximal therapy and still get COPD exacerbations and pneumonia and other causes of dyspnea. So getting back to neprilisin inhibition, why not put every systolic congestive heart failure patient on Entresto? Well, I guess Novartis would probably like that. And there really is a few issues. One is the issue of cost. It is expensive. The ACE inhibitors and ARBs are now cheap generics. Entresto reduces morbidity and mortality, but as the numbers needed to treat show, it is still not a cure for CHF. And then we are doctors, so there always has to be some trial criticism. Um, I don't agree with all the trial criticisms out there, but what's out there is some have argued the paradigm trial should have been a trial against Valsartan and not enalapril to better see how much of a benefit the neprilisin inhibitor had over a direct comparison to an ARB. Some have criticized the dose of enalapril is too low. However, the dose used was evidence-based. I mean, if you look at the consensus and solved trials, even though the goals of enalapril sometimes were higher, patients ended up on about 20 milligrams a day. And likewise, 
a higher dosage of ACE inhibitor may be difficult to achieve in clinical practice. And then, of course, even though it was a well-done large trial, there are some that point out it was only one trial. Personally, I think this was a large enough trial, one of the largest in heart failure trials done, that I am confident about the data. Probably my biggest concern is not with the trial, but that it is a BID drug, and I worry about compliance with it, at least with some of my patients. Now, listen, we know the common defense of cost effectiveness and decreasing hospitalizations are going to be the nonstop justifications for spending more money. It is the medical version of how the financial world used derivatives to confuse people. Even Naziratide, brand name Natricor, if you go back and do some research on it, they had cost effectiveness arguments. So for a drug like Entresto, that actually seems to be an actual improvement in CHF care, of course the argument will be made, and it, and it may be a fair argument. And by the way, the most cost-effective thing a person can do for Medicare in the United States is die at the age of 66 and not spend decades getting orthopedic implants, depression medications, blood pressure treated, heart casts, cancer therapies, flu shots, taking preventative meds, and numerous doctor visits. That's the honest answer. And even though I really don't want that for my patients, or for me, or for my loved ones, I am definitely here to keep you alive longer and make you feel better. But enough with these cost effectiveness defenses, it's nonsense already, and this persistent myth that preventative medicine decreases overall expenditures. Preventive medicine is awesome for a lot of reasons when it comes to health and happiness and staying out of hospitals. But it helping the overall economy is something I still need to be sold on. I get it that keeping people alive longer and healthier puts off the heart catheterization and the ICU stays for a while, but those things still eventually happen, and they happen after accumulating the other expenses for numerous other stuff along the way. If I never see another cost-effective study for brand name medications or devices, I believe it would increase the serotonin in my brain. So do it for me. Anyway, if we threw cost issues aside, and let's face it, that most of us are not cost conscious with our patients, there is a strong argument to be made that angiotensin receptor neprilysin inhibition with sacubitril valsartan should replace ACE inhibitors for many CHF patients. It probably is best used for those who are not decompensated in late stage systolic congestive heart failure where their BMP is already through the roof. So I'm not sure increasing BMP further will make a huge difference in that population, though it should be studied. We probably need to also use some caution with CHF patients who already have a low blood pressure. As a hospitalist, we see our share of symptomatic hypotension and syncope, and this combination drug lowers blood pressure a few more points than ACE inhibition alone. All right, so I hope you learned some stuff about natriac peptides, both as a lab to analyze and as a therapeutic, and I will catch you on the next round.